podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the weekend uh, coming up. There's going to be information about the Cheltenham Festival uh, via Fans Bet slash Reds Bet, uh, an event I went to and, and, and enjoyed thoroughly. That is to come. Uh, also to come, uh, Duo Vision. Uh, I've put a, a, a show on in the gallery on Stanhope Street down in the Baltic. Uh, I spoke to them. Uh, there are other things to come as well, but most importantly, Mike Nevin and Adam Mealy are talking about in the short term, uh, Burnley, and in the longer term, the fact that this is a huge week for Liverpool, another huge, huge, huge week. Um, three games Mike Nevin Liverpool need a result from uh, suddenly I don't think we've actually had a season defining week maybe I'm wrong maybe we did and it was right the way back in uh, October when Liverpool played Chelsea Napoli and Manchester City and although they didn't win any of those games mm. they kept themselves alive through the course of the season um, this I think the next three even though two of them are against sides in the bottom five are season defining yeah I mean it's it's reached that position of critical mass in the uh, in the Premier League and you know we've obviously seeded that what was once a, a seven point advantage so you know I, I mean using loads of cliches no 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 more margin for error you feel like these two games are must win um, that's not saying anything particularly controversial the Champions League in the middle of it all of a sudden I think the Champions League has taken on a new focus uh, probably for two reasons one being that we're now behind City um, so and and we are we are odds against um, to to win the Premier League now whether whether we like that or not I mean my 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 hopes about the Premier League remain relatively unchanged it is one point there are twenty seven points to play for um, but generally speaking Liverpool are second favourites and alongside that you've obviously got the way that the Champions League has panned out this week um, all of a sudden it looks a slightly easier competition to win um, and that in light of the fact that our championship ambitions are slightly compromised uh, because of the, the draws at, uh, at Goodison and Old Trafford, suddenly the Champions League takes on, I think, an added importance. And I think all season we've talked about the Champions League as, uh, as almost like a luxury item that we've, we've, we've sat alongside the race for the title, um, which is, it's never been before and it's been new territory for us. All of a sudden, as I say, I think that Bayern Munich game just comes into a massive, sharp focus. Um, I'll, go yeah. back, I'll push back to you on the, the Burnley and Fulham question first and foremost, Mike. And I, I think the core, the core thing about this is, if we were going for fourth, if we were, if we were where, uh, where Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Tottenham, possibly Man United, definitely all are at the minute. These would almost also be two must-win games, yeah. given the nature of the opposition, given the fact that where they are on the table, given that the tougher one is at home, the easier one is away. That's not to say the easier one will be easy, uh, but these are two. Mu- they, they, there is almost in any season Liverpool play home against sixteenth and away against nineteenth are must-win games. Yeah, and there's, and there's always a massive outcry if you don't if you don't win this type of game. I think that's accentuated in the situation we're in because people are still obsessed with with, with winning the title and rightly so um, they're just I mean but just like any Premier League game you know, they've, 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 they've got to be won and you know but Fulham are pretty much marooned at the bottom I, th- I don't think there's much incentive for them but Burnley have got loads to play for I think the five points off the off the drop zone still they've had a better run of late um, but traditionally well over the last I think the last four games they've given us a game uh, in all of them really I think they beat us 2-0 
Um, I seem to remember Emre Chan getting a late winner at Anfield. Last season was a draw. Um, and Deitch is the type of manager that, you know, he, you know I think he's an intelligent manager. You know, he, he can set up in different ways. He's generally set up, you know, like a combative, uh, organised outfit. We haven't really flourished against Burnley other than for perhaps half an hour in the away game this season. So that, you know, it, it's, a t- it's a still a, t- a tough fixture. Um, and yeah, you know, the two of them together combined need the six. Yeah, that, that that's always the way. But just the intensity of the situation makes it that much different, I think, from from chasing fourth place. Uh, it is that much difference from chasing fourth, Adam. It is a demand, it is an ask. It is Saturday morning, all the obvious stuff, all the hits uh, around that, but Liverpool have still got the business to do. Is it Sunday morning? That's Sunday, Sunday morning, sorry, Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. God, you just threw my weekend into uh, disarray just for half a second there, Neil. Um, yeah, it, it, I think that we haven't... When you say it's a, it, it's a massive week, it is a massive week, but this season's been a bit of a funny one where we've kind of... We've we've managed to to keep ourselves in 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 the race and doing well without really ever having sort of a statement week I think or like you know we we, we haven't we haven't quite managed to 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 put ourselves you know head and shoulders above with with, with some really good performances um, when when these weeks have have, have come around um, sort of thinking as far back as as Chelsea away where the, you know kind of the fixtures that you think well you know times where we've challenged we've won this fixture there's been quite a few of them where we kind of where this season we haven't yet so I think that's why there's there's still you know despite despite doing really well in all the others we sort of we, we find ourselves not quite sure what to think um, it, it, about about the about the league and uh, and also about the Champions League because it felt, it felt in the Champions League like we've been focusing slightly more on the league in the way that in the past we've been focusing slightly more on the Champions League. So um, yeah, I, I, it is it is the early kickoff um, on, on on Sunday against Burnley after after City play again. I think isn't it Saturday night? City play Saturday night. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm 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 sort of. I'm not too. I'm not too concerned. I guess. I think. Uh, I think it's the. I think it's the kind of game where we will face some challenge, but, um, but but come through it. I'm. I'm sort of more concerned about the the league game after it. Even just just because of having 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 to play midweek away and then a, a team with a new manager, new manager bounce. It could. I could have done without this new Scott Parker uh, narrative. To be honest, also Fulham's program. All of that's doing my head in. Uh, I'm, I'm all right with Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> You've already got one eye on that. The potential banana skin yeah, ahead yeah. as Fulham turned that into some sort of derby fiction know, that they love to win. Me. I hate that. Why, why do teams always do that with us? It's absolutely mad. <laughs> uh, it's there's. I mean, maybe there's no team in the country that isn't desperate to have a rivalry with Liverpool, and we're just going to cop for it. You get a lot of clicks. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, I think, should have been around in the eighties. Everyone was the same. Was it no just, one yeah, liked yeah. us? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, um, that's. I'm, I'm, in one sense, I'm fine with it. It's the lengths, the ends of the earth they'll go to, including well, programs two weeks early. Adam's program thing. I mean, that, that's that. I mean, it's a work of it's a work of fantastic literary friction, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And it, <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's so cup. it's so tongue in cheek. I think that it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can just about let it pass. But um, yeah, I, a staunch I, defense of Roy, though, isn't it? I sort of feel like I don't know. It's almost as if the people have realised that we are a bit rattleable. Maybe it's just as a fan base, but yeah, I feel like we've been rattled a few times by teams which sort of thought maybe we'll just rattle them, and then that's right, we have actually been rattled. So yeah, are you feeling rattled? Me, yeah. I mean, I've been feeling rattled since January the first, twenty nineteen. Maybe just twenty nineteen is the year of rattle. You have, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't been enjoying it since since the turn of the year. <laughs> 
I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 so intense. It it is hard to enjoy. Um, and I think what what I'm grappling with is that Liverpool keep sort of tricking me into thinking that they're on the verge of of suddenly just running into real form, the type of form that we've talked about, where you get on a roll, there's momentum, the, you know, you're free scoring, and they've done that in the last two home games. Bournemouth last, felt like that. Bournemouth felt really very did. much like that. That's um, it now. This is the team. Then, this is the four three three. Then we had then, let's do this. Then we had United, um, sl- yeah, which was a slight stalling, but in isolation. You know, decent points at United. Then you get Watford, where I think we sort of crested new highs, if you like. Uh, and then, and then there's the derby. So it you, you, it's very difficult to, to know what to make of it. It's it's hard. It's it's I, I, I'd say it's harsh to say that Liverpool are reacting to the pressure, but naturally people from outside are saying, "Well, they are," and that's because of draws. And I think in some ways draws are actually more de- debilitating than than the odd defeat because people say, "Look at all those draws." And there's a there's a previous narrative to that as well with 2009, where mm. you know we were ultimately denied a league title because we, we lost two games, but we had too many draws. So there's a familiarity and a worry with that as well. Um, but enjoyable, yeah. I mean, it's great to be involved. I mean, let's face it. You know, we're still in the the two big competitions. We're into March now. That's pretty un- unfamiliar territory for us. Um, loath as we are to admit since '09, since '09, yeah. Um, and you know, you, you've got to try and enjoy it. But the ninety minutes, you know, that you experience for, from week to week now, it's bloody purgatory. Um, Wofford was laugh. It was, yeah. It helps you know, getting getting sort of you know dinking goalkeepers with back heels. Is, sure, is, yeah. I mean, can we do that I, every week? And I think I think that there's something in this though, isn't it? Is that the, the state the, the statement performances and both both have been statement performances, but they've come against they're against names, you know, Watford and Bournemouth. We all too easily dismiss the fact that well, because, because Watford were in seventh place. Now, if if that seventh place is someone like I don't know Arsenal or something like that, then it's viewed completely differently mm. because it's a you know it's a big. Fixture, I think, but you, so so fans don't take loads from it. Um, you, you're encouraged by the style of play and the free score and form, but equally, you, you contrast that with the two away games and the way that we've played and the way we haven't really created chances. They've been in stark contrast. Yeah. And that's what I mean by being, you know, it's quite hard to make sense of things. I think my, the, the 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 nerves have, have come because we've been kind of we've been losing ground, whereas previously it felt like we maybe we were playing earlier as well, and then you'd you'd enjoy your team winning and then enjoy watching the other team, you know, maybe win or maybe not, um, and and sort of enjoy sp- like picking holes in in City's performances, and I think it's kind of been. With yeah, the shoes I, been on the other foot. I think there's been elements that they've been able to do that with us. I think there's been an element of that, but I think the other reason why the nerves have come is that you know it's like back to, again back to order of results and order of fixtures. In yeah. that you know, I think that prior to City first dropping points effectively, which sort of feels a bit like it was Crystal Palace, mm. everyone was just waiting for the moment when we cracked and they and I include a lot of Liverpool supporters in this. I don't include me, but I include a lot of Liverpool supporters in this who were thinking yeah, there will be some sort of point. We'll go you know early December. Everyone was thinking we we'll go to we when we go to City we're quite happy if we can get a draw and the gap's only four points. Four points, yeah. And everyone was saying that, everyone was saying that, happy the gap's only four points. And then the opposite happened and I think that what people have actually struggled with is the opposite happening. And then when a couple of cracks do come in, because that's the thing about the pace, mm. is yeah, I think there's a nice, uh, there was an 800 metres comparison, I use 800 metres comparisons all the time, but I actually, for the first time when I was thinking about Spurs dropping points, I was thinking about you know, the, the thing that happens no one says marathon runners bottle it when one suddenly finds the pace too hard on the 21st mile they go they find the pace too hard on the 21st mile and that's happened to Tottenham 
the, the pace cracked Tottenham and they've, they've gone now Tottenham and they, they could still finish third and, and they probably will still finish third and I sort of hope they do actually get to finish third because they, they, they held that pace with the lead in pack for mm-hmm. as long as possible and I think that what's happened if you if you extend this metaphor now the question is have City managed to crack Liverpool or is this just a minor dropping yeah. back before the next thing and that's why the next two games are so important because the positioning that we're in come Tottenham coming on the 31st of March and if we are ahead because yeah. of the game in hand on the 31st of March and then we beat Tottenham then the six games to go then and suddenly you know suddenly it's it, the, the, the marathon metaphor continues and that's always been the way hasn't it and it's, I think it is just the fact that we that we had managed to jump ahead that have skewed it because what we'd said at the start of the season was that we'd wanted to be in touch in March and then yeah. we'd, and then we'd see so and, and, and you know everybody's kind of talking this week about look at you know being able to see what City's eight bulls kind of shaping up like and you know we, we, that's what we need at the minute we, we, we just need to be we need to be in the mix. We need to be at what one point behind still. Kind it's of funny, thing, isn't it? In, because in I mean, just in line with with what Adam's saying there is that for a while now we've we, we've sort of been making apologies for ourselves. You know, if we'd have had this situation, you know, sort of in, yeah. in January, in in February, in March, we'd have bitten our hands off. And the the way that we've sort of seeded the lead is, is almost. I mean, it's ridiculous. As I said before, there's one point in it, and yeah, I mean, even Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, on his Twitter, said came out with something like, "We'll fight to the end." Now, that's yeah. the type of comment that you'd normally associate with going sort of seven points behind. And with, we're just going to keep with winning, six hope, to go. Yeah, I yeah agree. you know. Um, so that it, it feels like it, the mentality is sort of seeped into the in, into the dressing room a little bit that. Um, the, you know that we've we, we've we've wasted our biggest chance. Not that they we're out we're out of it. I don't think that the players are being negative. Nor Klopp. I think even Klopp has sort of said, you know, we'll we'll keep on sort of fighting to the last game, and that's that's entirely reasonable. But the way that, the way that it it can be perceived, I think, is a little bit damaging. I, yeah, I think it should be just seen as massive opportunities, and I do think that matters. And I think that that was what Bournemouth at home and the example of coming together around them happened at Bournemouth at home. I just think I and I really hope that everybody thinks so. the extent to which I think it's just absolutely still there it's it's almost there as much as it was prior to Everton if you know what I mean like for me it's not a you know it's like a 3% thing and for the, I think for a lot of people it's been like a 30% thing for me it's like a 3% thing of yeah we made it a bit harder for ourselves but as you say Mike there's 9 games to go there's 27 points up for grabs and you know I really do believe that if Liverpool for instance got 25 of them then we would be looking at the, we'd be looking at the championship and, and, and on Merseyside funny things happen in title races and increasingly so towards the end. And the, the the thing that I've been consoling myself with recently is that when City won that first title, it was even in the last game, you know, against QPR, go mm. 2-1 up. I mean, that, that was completely and utterly out of the blue. That wasn't expected. That has to come down to some kind of um, sort of negative psychology or or concern that they had about, about getting over the line for their first title. Now... That you know that can still happen, not necessarily in the last you know half an hour of a game, but it can that can kick in any kick in at any stage. And you know, City have got the the disadvantage of a, a, potentially a far more complex uh, April, um, which 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 is my sort of main hope really that uh, that's that, 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 that that's the thing that sort of grinds them down. It doesn't have to be one game in particular; it's the accumulation of games, yeah. the accumulation of pressure, the cre- accumulation of, of potential tiredness as well. What it takes it out, out of you mentally going through those games it's, it's interesting looking at because what we do is is as fans look at blocks of fixtures and sort of write write some of them off uh, you know especially for the other team but 
But the fact is, is that, that as as those games as those games arrive, and and you know, City have got more of them. It's the same for us, but City have got more of them. Each of them presents its own challenge, and things happen in games of football, don't they? And so the, it's it, it is. I, I think I think taking lessons from the past and looking at blocks of games and thinking that that you know such yeah. and such are always going to be easy ones. Neither of them things are, are really useful things to do. But you know we have to think about something. We do, and we have to think about the fact that it's three big games and come together around them. Uh, and it is, a, it isn't truly a joint enterprise. It's never been a joint enterprise, but it is half more fun if we think of it as such and play our part against Burnley. Uh, one I mentioned the uh, people stepping down from SOS this week uh, came out uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, John Paul Hill, who's been there for many, many a year, Jackie Taylor as well, and Tommy Kiner have all been absolutely brilliant uh, doing stuff with Spirit of Shankly. Uh, but the person who's got the attention and, and understandably so has been uh, Jay, uh, Jay McKenna. Stepping down from SOS uh, this uh, well in a couple of weeks' time, um, just on a personal level, wanted to say use this and know that it's echoed in a way. Very, very few things are at the Anfield wrap by by almost everybody to speak of the well by everybody, not almost everybody to uh, pay tribute to Jay, uh, his tenacity, uh, his decency, and the fact that he's worthy of the utmost respect um, and has been since the first day I met him. Uh, and he's a truly remarkable young man, and wish him all the best in the future. It is the weekender, uh, Neil Atkinson, Adam Melia. Uh, we will move ourselves along now. Football Flash quiz time. Neil Atkinson here, obviously. Football Flash, Flash, the app which allows you to aggregate the news you want. Liverpool, obviously, but you can get all the clubs in there as well and find out what's going on right the way across the country. Download it if you haven't had the opportunity to do so. We like them a lot. We had Steve on the show a few weeks back. Uh, it was very good to have him. Um, and they're doing this thing where they're putting a quiz on every single week and we're doing it. And then from there, uh, if someone gets eight right, they win a piece of Anfield Rap merch. I've got Paul Mainwaring on now to try to get eight out of 10 and Paul first one what was the score in the min- oh, in fact I'll ask you how you think the Reds are doing now do you think that do you fancy us on Sunday yes um, it won't be easy but I think we can win yeah 3-1 or something 3-1 would be absolutely fantastic um, do you think he'll start Shaqiri <laughs> I wish he would uh, only not not in the case of I want him to start Shaqiri I just I think for these last nine games I think I'd quite like a bit more 4 2 three, one. Mm-hmm. But so with that in mind, I think Shakiri would play more. Yeah, only, only in that concept. More than fair enough. All right, then let's get the quiz done. Um, first one is: What was the score in the mini derby on Monday night? Uh, Everton won two 0 They did one out of one. Which Liverpool midfielder is on loan at Hertha Berlin and rumo- rumored to be re- returning in the summer? Uh, Hertha Berlin's greatest ever player, Marco Grewitt. Unbelievable that chat, wasn't it? The best midfielder <laughs> ever to play the club. I read it and nearly fell over, and I then when I tried to think, thought I need to go on Google and look up here the Berlin players, but I never did. Uh, unreal. Um, who did Liverpool under 18s beat in the FA Youth Cup quarterfinals last night? Uh, Barry. Three out of three. And, and Sam Allardyce. And Sam Allardyce. Great, <laughs> great news. <laughs> Which first teamer is rumoured to be starting for the under 23s on Friday night? Alex Oxley Chamberlain. That's the one. Four out of four. Uh, Jurgen Klopp has said he doesn't follow which Anfield tradition. He doesn't touch the sign. He doesn't touch the sign that this is Anfield sign 5 out of 5. Which Madrid player have Liverpool been linked with in the last week? Isco. That's the one, six from six. Um, who knocked... Oh, this that's too easy. Who replaced Brendan Rodgers as Celtic manager? Neil Lennon. Uh, seven out of seven. And who is top of the Bundesliga? Oh, um, 
joint top, right? Munich, uh, Munich and Dortmund. Dortmund, yeah. Dortmund are top on uh, on goal difference, I think it is. Uh, eight out of eight, so you've got the T-shirt. That's guaranteed. Let's do the other two, see if you can go 10 out of 10. You should be able to. Which manager has received a two-game touchline ban for kicking off at Mike Dean? Mauricio Pochettino. I love the use of kicking. I love the use of kicking off. And who knocked Real Madrid out of the Champions League on Tuesday night? Him, Ajax. Ajax. Far too easy. A couple of them. You know what I mean. The week I wrote it, people were struggling to get five uh, <laughs> in the office. But congratulations. Uh, we'll get all of that sorted out and get it sent over to you. And uh, enjoy the weekend. Do you know what bit of merch you're going to ask for? I have absolutely no idea, Neil. Go on. I'm going to have to do a deep dive and, and find out. Go and do a deep dive. We'll sort all of that out and we'll get back over with the rest of the show. Across the way uh, from Avenue HQ, there is the Open Eye Gallery. It's one of uh, Liverpool's most underrated galleries. It's a joy to behold, to be honest with you. And we haven't done enough with them at the Anfield Wrap. We'll be dealing with that. We'll be getting past that very, very soon. There's an exhibition in there called 209 Women at the moment. Uh, and to talk about it, I spoke to Emma Case. The surname should be familiar, as you will discover. I'm in the open eye gallery. 209 women is the name of the exhibition, which is 209 photographs of the 209 women members of parliament, all taken by women photographers. Uh, And I've got Emma Case with me. Emma, you photograph Marie Rimmer. Um, How did you get involved? Um, I think I actually just saw an advert online um, and it kind of said, looking for female photographers. And I applied and didn't hear anything for a little while. And I was like, oh, they must have their quota. And, you know, and then got an email and said, yeah, you know, would you like to be involved? And I think initially I was going to photograph somebody a bit more local because I live in Birmingham. And then um, I kind of got sent a list and I could kind of choose who I wanted. And I saw Murray Rimmer was up this way. And I was like, I'd actually quite like to come up to Liverpool if that's all right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so I uh, drove up the motorway and just spent the afternoon with her and... It was really nice, actually. We got on really... She's she's a character, and um, we talked about everything, from, like, the prison system to the haircuts and, and everything. It was just... It was really relaxed, and initially we were going to go to the rugby, I think, near hers, and it was absolutely lashing down, like, torrential rain, and I was a bit worried about it, to be honest, because I, I shot it on film as well, so, yeah. you know, it's quite nerve-wracking because you've only got a real short amount of time you've got to crack it on that one kind of take and um and then I arrived at her house and was just like actually that's perfect can we just stay here and we had a cup of tea and a few biscuits and (laughs) took some photos and then you know luckily yep we got one that I'm really happy with the aim of the project and why the project's really interesting is women being photographed by other women and that's the the core of it is 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 changing the way in which that gaze operates the way in which that framing works a lot of sort of technical stuff around photography but also the the essence of the way in which people end up being portrayed and that's quite quite a bold project to be part of i think in many ways to be honest yes um i think a lot of the mps haven't actually been photographed by female photographers or maybe have maybe one or two times so for that it was kind of an experience for them in that way um but also just the brief was quite wide I guess yeah. <laughs> like we weren't really given anything apart from just shoot it how you shoot so what's happened is as you can see 209 portraits but they're all completely well, different just there's yours here with Marie Rimmer where she's you've snapped her at a moment when she's looks really happy really comfortable really relaxed yep. uh, we've got Russian RLE just behind you there where it's quite a posed quite a formal photograph yes. uh, beneath there there's Michelle uh, Gilner where it's really quite artistic quite evocative of her thought process and I just saw my 
Margaret Greenwood's Willow West over really here, where one, yeah. it's great, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really good. Uh, where it very much frames her in the midst of the Willow West community, the idea of the action behind her and her in the foreground. And you are right, they're all, you know, Emma Lou and Buck here, South Shields. Yeah. You know, this, they're all profoundly different, each of these photographs, and, and they're, all, they're, they're all really quite unique. And it's really nice because you can kind of see, because I know some of the photographers, obviously, because yeah. it's quite a nice network. And actually, we've all got to know each other since the project as well and we all keep in touch online and we met each other at the Westminster launch and then here at Open Eye Gallery and and what's nice is you can see their personality but you can also then you get a real glimpse of the MP's personal personality if that makes sense you know some of them have gone for a bit more of a formal approach but actually a lot of them you know are either in their home or in their kind of constituency and and so some of them are overtly artistic as well, which yeah. I think is interesting. H- Hannah Bardell here, for instance, in Water. That's another one of my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> like that one as well. Some of them are openly sort of quite, as, as I say before, quite grand, quite dramatic. Some of them, we've got Kate Holland here, which is, again, sort of playing a lot with light and, 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 and texture within it. It's, it's The 209 really interesting photographs. I mean, in anything like this, you might get one or two where you think, oh, I'm not quite sure about that, but that's meant to be the purpose. And that's actually what makes it so interesting, doesn't it? And, at, and when you're walking around... I think because they're so different it's accessible to everyone you know as an art gallery you know it's kind of welcoming everybody to come in and take a look but yeah it's just such a variety and I've seen it now probably about four or five times and I still see something new each time I look so yeah, play, yeah, come down and see it. It's, it's worth it, it's, most definitely. It mm-hmm. is indeed, and it's here for a while uh, at the Open Eye Gallery, just off, across the way from the Anfield Rap offices. Pop in, have a cup of tea, come and see us as well. Um, <laughs> you're working on another project in Anfield as well uh, called Red. Yes, um, it's kind of snowboarded a little bit. It started off just like a personal photography project, and I used to just hang around Anfield and just take portraits of fans, and then. I started seeing like the massive change that's going on around Anfield and I I started to panic. I was like, I think I need to sort of photograph the buildings and, you know, because things are changing. And and then it snowballed again when I actually sort of built a website and asked fans to send me their own photos. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones that are like, I don't know, in the loft in a Tesco carrier bag or in a shoebox. And I was like, send them to me. And the response has been... (laughs) it's actually been a bit overwhelming um but they are amazing like there's one photo of a lad he must be about eight or nine and he's got his top on with kind of like crown paints across it and you know he's dead proud stood there and there's photos on christmas day and there's the bus top you know celebration everything you can imagine Mm -hmm. i'm getting sent and so it's kind of started as a bit of an archive and now I'm working on maybe taking over a shop on Walton Breck Road. <laughs> Please. The council have kind of given a green light, but we've got a long way to go, obviously, for the next season. And it'll be open as like a pop-up exhibition stroke community hub. And I just want the archive to build and build now. I'm kind of after about 2,000 photos. Really? Yep, that's what the aim. And I've also started interviewing fans in their homes. So the last one was about six hours <laughs> I don't know if you know Peter Carney yes uh, I do yeah. <laughs> so, um, six yeah. hours feels like you've got the light ends oh yeah, completely but he was amazing you know he's, he's a brilliant and, man oh but just and I think we're helping him with his soccer in the city now a little bit so it's a great project as well it's just really nice because I'm getting to know fans and what I was really interested in with the project is hearing from their side you know you can go online and you can see newspaper articles and videos and stuff and you know I can access a lot of my dad you know photos video whatever and it's mostly press photography but there's something really really special about 
your personal photos, you know, the photos that we all have in carrier bags in the loft, you know, and they, even if they've got thumbprint, you know, like a thumb on them or they're a bit kind of not perfect, that's actually what makes them the most perfect. You mentioned your dad there, your dad's Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, sorry, we didn't even say that. We didn't mean to, we were having a nice chat. Yeah, so obviously I was born here, but we moved when I was about six months old because he moved to Brighton and then... Of course, yeah. Hence why no Scouse accent, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and so it's just been a really nice project for me to get back up here. And it's weird because I'll walk around Anfield and if I speak to any of the fans... I do mention who my dad is, and straight away, the response, it's like family. Like, that's all I can... Well, I was going to ask you, how is he? Which, which <laughs> like, I don't think, I genuinely, I was trying to sort of think of that, how many former players, I would actually, be first question would be, how is he? Is, but it sort of is, how is he? I mean, we've had some dealings with him, and, yeah. and, and re- everyone really liked him, and got on really well, but it, I mean, first thing I wanted to say was, so how is he? Is he, he all right? Is and he, and that's well? always <laughs> the response I get. I get, how is he? Oh, tell him to get his boots back on. Mm. You know, it's just, it's got that kind of connected feeling where we were all just one big family, and... It feels so nice to be back in the city. And you wanted the family, family album? Yeah, completely. But yeah, he's fine. He's good. He'll be at the match on Saturday. And yeah, he comes up quite a lot yep. for games and stuff. And he does the drive. Like, he drives from Southampton to like four and a half hours. And then he drives straight back. Like, Tell him to hang on. He's mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's all good. Yeah. Excellent. We'll get hold of the Project Red if you've got any photographs. How do people do that? Um, if you look on, I think it's redportraits.com or on my Twitter, Emma Case, yeah, then just take a look. And just contact if you've got anything, and um, you know, photos or if you want to be interviewed or anything like that. Then Excellent. Yeah. And come to 209 Women, oh, Open Eye Gallery. come and have a look. It's so good. Honestly, it's one of the best exhibitions I've ever seen. So you, yeah, definitely come and have a look. Come and do that. Everything that you need to the Anfield Wrap. As discussed, I went over to Manchester. Uh, it's a hotel football, of all things, right in sight of Old Trafford. It was immediately after the nil-nil. Uh, and whilst I was there, uh, there was a long uh, a two-hour show uh, discussing the Cheltenham Festival. Uh, the panel was absolutely terrific. Uh, it was Conor O'Hare. Uh, it was The Shark, JJ Fenlon. And it was Brian Hughes, the jockey. It was hosted by Tom Lee. Uh, and they gave us the audio for it. And we've cut it down uh, into little bite-sized chunks of recommendations for the Cheltenham Festival. As ever, Red's best our partners uh, if this isn't for you uh, feel free to scoot through it and always 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 gamble responsibly uh, but here are these people's advice on a fantastic sporting occasion oh good evening and a very warm welcome to this uh, the very first fans bet racing cheltenham festival preview night in association very importantly i think uh, with racing welfare the sportsmen who are helping us beam this event live onto the internet and indeed also in association with our hosts here at Hotel Football. So, uh, thanks to you for coming. Uh, I'm your host, my name is Tom Lee, but much more importantly, in the winners' winners enclosure as recently as yesterday, a man who this very season has gone steaming through the 1,000 winner mark as a jockey with many, many fruitful years still to come, a man who won the Jockey of the Month award uh, for January, and a man who, lest we forget, was a Cheltenham Festival winner in the saddle in the year of 2018 on Mr Whitaker. Uh, please put your hands together and welcome Brian Hughes. I will also explain to you, and we like honesty here, we're amongst friends, we're, we're amongst people who we like to think that we're, we're a team, uh, the fans bet family, we like to think that together, we like to work together. So I'm going to give you a confession. 
Now, maybe this will or won't be the last confession we make tonight. The reason that the 7.30 start was delayed until 7.42 was that one member of the panel, and I'll let you guess, had backed a greyhound, which he needed to watch. And you can't take place in a Cheltenham Festival preview night while there's a greyhound race going on. Uh, one of the best-loved and undeniably one of the best, uh, easily, most easily recognised and distinguished characters in both British and Irish racing. A man who has produced many great talents, both out on the track and indeed in the saddle. He's the man who got Rachel Blackmore going. Uh, he's the man who masterminded the career of the great hidden cyclone and a man who's incredibly generous in giving with his time. Uh, his name on his birth certificate, at least, is John Hanlon, but we know him and we love him as the shark. And finally, if you're just scratching your head, understandably, and looking to the gentleman to my left, uh, he's a man who, well, tender years, and yet he's achieved an enormous amount in his few years on this earth because he comes from a dynasty of Irish commentators. Uh, his grandfather, the great Michal O'Hare, uh, he's somebody who contributes to some of the most heavyweight sports shows across a variety of sports, not just horse racing uh, in Ireland. And I think my suspicion, my hunch is that Conor O'Hare is going to be someone who in the none too distant future you'll start to see cropping up in front of the camera as well. Uh, I'll give him one more compliment. If this was Las Vegas and you were a pit boss, I promise you, you'd know this man's face. Conor O'Hare. So we're going to kick off, and we're going to kick off with the opening race on the opening day. Uh, the famous Cheltenham Roar uh, will be heard, of course, uh, for the meeting opening Supreme Novices Hurdle. This is how fans bet bet away to my left. Uh, 11 to 4, the price about Al Dancer, uh, the... Very emphatic winner, I think you would say, of the key handicap there a couple of Saturdays ago at Newbury. Uh, what is now, it's the old Tote Gold Trophy, the Schweppes, uh, in its current incumbents. It is the uh, Betfair Hurdle, uh, won last year, of course, by Kalashnikov. Fakir Duderi is only a four-year-old, and yet such is the strength in depth at his stable, uh, might he very likely run in this Supreme Novices Hurdle, four to one. Uh, Angel's Breath has options, seven to one. Elixir de Nuts interesting eight to one uh, classical dream attracting money from much bigger prices uh, currently with fans bet is nine to one aramon 11s 12 to one bar those uh, the gentleman on my left and right can bring in any name they fancy paul nichols the trainer of grand sonsi uh, the Kingwell hurdle winner at wincanton the saturday before last giving him a real good mention the last couple of days conor o'hare the Irish Challenge so often likes to stake a claim that the Supreme Novices Hurdle will be their race. And yet, all the rage, Al Dancer. Some people say, be wary handicappers stepping up into a grade one. What say you? Um, yeah, he's a worthy favourite uh, at the moment. He's taken a similar route to last year's winner. Um, I wouldn't be completely convinced on him, but it doesn't look a massively great race, but you never really know until further down the line how good these novice races are. To race two, that's the Arkle, the Arkle novices chase. If you say that, uh, and maybe the Supreme Novices Hurdle, if you believe Conor O'Hare, uh, you might say that it's a below par Supreme Novice. I'm not sure I believe, believe that. Uh, there have been a few big names go by the wayside uh, in, in terms of the context of the Arkle. We lost Dynamite Dollars, uh, we lost La Richborg, but what it does leave is an absolutely intriguing cocktail uh, led uh, by this Lawler for Kayleigh Woolacott, 
uh, also provoked plenty of discussion because go back to the November meeting in Cheltenham, he was absolutely devastatingly good under Dickie Johnson. Uh, but fast forward three weeks, he was rather less so, a beaten eight to 11 favorite. It might have been the soft ground that upset him there, but I, I struggle really, Connor, to use that as a particularly viable excuse uh, because when he won his grade one at Aintree back in April 18, that was on soft ground, so that slightly kicks that one into touch. He's had a race course gallop, Lola. He hasn't had the prep run. He hasn't run since December, indeed. So make of that what you will. It's such a pleasure to talk about the 2019 champion hurdle. Uh, will it be a three-peat for Bouvier who won the race in 2017-2018? Or will it be one of these wonderful mares from Ireland? Uh, Apples Jade, multiple grade one winner. Uh, I know Brian's got a couple of positive things to say about her. You've got the younger Lorena, uh, winner of the grade two mares novices hurdle last season off the back of her win at Punchestown. You've got Vedana Blue, who interestingly, what a strange springboard this is to the Cheltenham Festival. She runs tomorrow night, Vedana Blue, not over hurdles, uh, but on the all weather at Kempton Park. So on we go to the Ballymore novices hurdle. Uh, the staying novices hurdle, or at least the intermediate distance novice hurdle, I should say. Uh, not the Bartlett, but the Ballymore. Uh, the front of the market for this uh, looks like this. Uh, Nicky Henderson last won this in 2012 with a really good horse, uh, Simon Sig. Might he win it again in 2019 with the brilliantly named uh, Champ? Uh, plenty of people think that Champ could be the one. He's run five times in his life over hurdles, four of them victories. Uh, that was his first spin over hurdles when he maybe needed a bit of experience. Uh, he's won the last twice this season, uh, once a handicap, once a grade one at Newbury. Uh, then you've got this battle over Doyen, a horse who maybe Connor will tell us a little bit about. Uh, classical dreams being back from much bigger prices. Uh, Angel's Breath, obviously we talked about him in relation to the Supreme Novices hurdle. Um, City Island, um, Conor O'Hare writes a brilliant column every week on a Friday called The Irish Angle. Uh, he had a good bit to say about City Island the week before last. Uh, brewing up a storm 10 to 1. Uh, our old mate Fakir Duderiz. Uh, he's got all sorts of entries, but looks as if he's going to be going to the Supreme. And then Birchdale at 11 to 1. Uh, these are horses, just like Commander of Fleet, uh, who also could be ending up shopping elsewhere. Um, so this is a race which uh, certainly some of these names won't be present. Uh, one who will is the English-trained champ. Brian Hughes, champ. Um, almost everything that's been asked of him over hurdles, uh, and I don't think it was an exception because perhaps he just needed the experience. His first run over hurdles at Ascot, he, I say only, plenty of people would give their back teeth to have a horse good enough to finish second on a weekend at Ascot. He's gone on from there to be not just a really good handicapper, but to be a grade one winner. He looks the real deal. He's trained by a man who's absolutely banging in the winners. Nicky Henderson, the last two weeks, 12 winners from 30 runners. So at this very second, Henderson operating at a 40, 40% strike rate. What a wet sail that is to be taking in uh, to the Cheltenham Festival. Champ, a race I have got a very strong opinion on uh, is the RS novices chase. This, is, this, I think, is where Wednesday really lights up because uh, loads to say about this one. We'll try and be quick. We'll try and be concise. This actually is teed up to be a really exciting race. This is how they bet. 
Santini, a horse who, of course, was a beaten favourite at last year's Cheltenham Festival in the Albert Bartlett Novices Hurdle. Uh, he was also uh, behind a horse who's prominent in the betting here at Christmas time, top of the game in the race that La Bago Wow won at Kempton uh, on the uh, 26th of December. 72 Delta work. Connor will tell us a bit about him. Uh, top of the game. Uh, it's five to one. I think he's fascinating. Okay, Corral. Form's taken a couple of knocks, uh, but is a horse who featured at Warwick recently. Uh, on the blind side, uh, is 14 to one. Vindication, who Brian mentioned in a different context just now at 14s. 16 to one bar those. Chris's dream, who won the 10 up at Navin uh, for Henry de Bromhead. Uh, 18 to one bar those. Uh, so this RSA, Connor O'Hare, uh, what have you made of Santini? Because I'm not certain that this horse isn't going to be a drifter. Uh, when you go back through and examine his record, uh, you see that people this time last year were talking about him as a certainty for the Albert Bartlett. I know he got the job done on the flat speed track at Aintree. Was it the track that beat him? Was it the opposition? Was it the occasion? Fluffed his lines at Cheltenham. That worries me. Yeah, um, as Brian has said earlier on, like it, when you have a horse that does act around Cheltenham, it is worth six or seven pounds. Um, I think, to be honest, I think the other horse should be favoured. Um, Delta work, he's a course winner. Um, he's done nothing wrong since he went over fences this year. Um, he's won it two and a half miles, he's won over further. Um, he should be favoured in my book, and I think he will go off favours, and I think he will win as well. Um, to be honest, I think he has the beating of Santini. Santini did, in, in uh, an earlier stage of his career, win a lesser race, a grade two at Cheltenham, but I thought it was a combination of handling the venue, the opposition, the occasion, and maybe that stiff uphill finish that was the undoing of him in the Bartlett, which was a really, really good renewal last year on paper. Um, Brian Hughes, Santini, or are you swayed to this Irish challenge of Delta work, or do you then come back to the horse who finished ahead of Santini at Christmas? It's a tricky puzzle, this, because uh, top of the game has also been doing plenty uh, to recommend himself. These are the quotes from Paul Nichols about top of the game yesterday. He's a high-class chaser in the making. Uh, he's nice and fresh, and he has a big chance in the RSA. So I think this is a bit of a, a jigsaw puzzle, really, at the front of this market. Three quality horses, loads of each-way value further down the list. What do you make of it? Well, Paul Nichols wasn't going to give you a negative quote, was he, in fairness? Um, look, obviously, Santini was it um, was beaten favourite at Cheltenham last year and everyone had him as a banker and it's interesting that he's won at Aintree and Newbury which are similar flat tracks um, Delta Works obviously a winner at the festival and he's done nothing wrong since he's went over fences um, top of the game he was second to last year till Abagawar where Santini back in third um, I just don't know he just looks a bit big and ungainly for me really um, I just think Delta Works forms a bit stronger and, and probably should be favourite. Um, Vindication might be a horse with a, with a bit of an each way chance. Um, looks like he's been crying out for this trip after been beaten last time out at uh, Ascot. But I think Delta Works should be the worthy favourite. And lest we forget uh, that Delta Work, going back to December, beat Larishborg, who would have been Arkle favourite. So he's got speed, he's got stamina. Uh, but there's something else about Delta Work as well. As Connor said, he's a course winner, of course, because he won the per temps in 2018. Um, he's unbeaten over fences. I go with Brian on this. I think I go with Connor on this. This Delta Work, I did the walkback interview on Irish TV after he'd won on the 29th of December. Davy Russell was absolutely purring about him, having come back in on him. So he's a great 
grade one winner uh, over this sort of trip. Uh, he's won on the track. And the really good thing about him, Shark, Delta work, he seems to be able to deliver it on pretty much any ground. If the ground's rattling quick at Cheltenham, he just gallop through them, no problem. He'd love it. If the ground, no matter how quick the ground is, this, this horse will handle it. Um, he's after having three or four very good runs this year. He didn't run since December, but um, he's going to take some whack. And he's, I'd say he's probably won a gar in Spankers at the meeting. Um, like everywhere he's after going this year, he's, he's beaten good horses. And um, that'll do me any day. A miracle. The planets have aligned. We have a 4-4-4, four, 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 or rather every single one of us, all four, uh, are going for Delta work in the RSA Novices Chase. So make of that what you will. Uh, you can jointly condemn us when the creature gets absolutely stuffed. Uh, but based upon certainly what I've seen, uh, it is Delta work at 7-2 who is the, the cast iron vote uh, for the RSA. Uh, have we a boost, young James, on this race? Let's have a little look. Now that'll do nicely. Now that'll do nicely. Um, for those of you who couldn't uh, understand the words coming out of the shark's mouth, uh, it was a very simple but emphatic, oh Jesus. So it's nice to see that he's offering praise to the man above for the excellent price about Delta work. Nine to two, up to 25 quid. Grab that, first come, first served. Right, on we go. Uh, I don't think this one will take too long, so we can make up a bit of flight, in, uh, make up a bit of flight time here. Uh, Altior, two to five. Um, this horse who's got this remarkable Cheltenham record. He's won a Supreme Novice. He's won an Arkle. He's won a Queen Mother Champion chase. Uh, based upon all known form, he looks absolutely the one horse who, Okay, yes, he's a prohibitive price, but rightly so. Uh, Nicky Henderson, well, he says he's become a public horse in the vein of something like a sprinter sacra. He's the perfect 12 from 12 over fences. Um, can you see, gentlemen, any alternative? Okay, there could be some sort of unfortunate accident. He could get carried off the track. He could have a soft unseat. Hopefully he doesn't. But if he turns up in anything like his peak form, surely he wins. Yeah, simple. Connor? Simple, yeah, move on. Yeah. Moving on, we go on to the JLT, a race which on the third day is slightly confused, I think, the market here, because we've got this Defi du Soy who they're now talking about taking, uh, not to this race, but to the Arkle. Uh, you've got Real Steel, who looks quite promising. Not sure if he's good enough to win one of these. Uh, top of the game we've just been talking about in the context of the longer race, the three-miler, the RSA. And then you've got this lost in translation who, the one really good thing about him is that he's only got one entry. So they can't keep trying to sort of chop and change and, and, and decide and then undecide and, and deviate. Uh, lost in translation, talked about as a future potential Gold Cup horse. Uh, en route there, Conor O'Hare, is lost in translation a JLT winner of 2019. Um, it's another one that's kind of it's going to cut up, isn't it? If if Defi Desai goes for the um, for the the two mile race, like this is he's probably not a false favourite, but he's kind of favourite because there's there's not nothing else really. But well, in uh, fact, they flip flopped. Uh, they bet now three to one lost in translation, a hundred to thirty Defi Desai, who as as we say that the suggestions today, it's not 
rubber stamped, but the suggestions today are that Defi Dussoy could very well be going for the Arkle, the shorter race. Uh, you've got real steel, uh, top of the game. Well, he's got options, as we've been talking about. Glenn Forcer, uh, we think he's more likely to go to the Arkle. Uh, Delta work, obviously, elsewhere, potentially. Uh, Kalashnikov looking likely, as we've heard from our very own Amy Murphy tonight, uh, to go to the Arkle. Uh, so we've got a picture there where this actually is a field which could be decimated. For that reason, this lost in translation, he's all about stamina, and yet they can ride him aggressively. I think there's a lot to like there, because we talk about course form. He won at Cheltenham on New Year's Day. That's got to be a big tick in the right box, surely. Right then, Thursday, Ryanair, proper horse race. Let me explain something to you. Almost everything in life comes back to presenting Percy. And I'll qualify that, because there's a horse here towards the front of the market called Mona Lee. Uh, Mona Lee, 12 months ago, was seven lengths second to presenting Percy uh, in the RSA chase. Uh, two years ago, uh, Mona Lee, well, he wasn't locking swords with Percy in the Pertemps. He was finishing second in the Albert Bartlett. Uh, but he, if he was seven lengths behind the horse that's going to win the Gold Cup, in between times, he's won a Red Mills. Uh, he's been second in a Savills chase at Leopardstown at Christmas time. This is a golden opportunity for a horse that hopefully, hopefully, uh, Henry de Bromhead will get him there in absolutely pristine shape. Um, there's still a chance that Min could go for the shorter Queen Mother champion chase. Uh, foot pad, same comment applies. Under so is nearly as old as the shark. He can't keep rocking out these performances at that level. Kemboy is probably going to run in the Gold Cup. Brilliant horse though he is. Frodon also has the Gold Cup option. I'll give you a couple of stats supporting in this Ryanair chase. Eight of the last ten winners uh, had only had 11 or less starts over fences. So you're looking at a couple of these. Uh, the likes of Top Notch has run 12 times over fences. Uh, the mighty under so, uh, what a long and distinguished and brilliant career that's been. He's run 19 times over fences. So perhaps the, perhaps the, the clock ticking down on, on his career, although you wouldn't have known it the last day in Sandown Park. Um, Connor O'Hare, for the reasons already given, uh, I like uh, this Monolly. I love watching him the last day. He's got the form in the book, seven lengths behind Percy. He's run very well in the grade one. You and I were there covering it for television at Christmas time. Um, this is a quality horse. Turns up at the peak of his form wins. Yeah, I think he's at his right trip here as well. Um, I think he's, is he still tying? You probably know, is he still tying with the Gold Cup or is, he, is it nailed on that he's going he's going to go here? Yeah. Um, he's got to, hasn't he? he has the way to, this yeah. is falling it's, apart. It's, sure, you saw the last day he'll jump. He jumped out in front and go and he jumped for fun, made the running and nothing really got near him. So um, he's run well and raced in Chatham in defeat, but he's been behind a couple of good horses in those runs. Um, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what Willie Mullins runs here. Um, I mean, foot pad, like it's, but I, I would be in the Manly camp. Um, it'd be great if Rachel rode him, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. But um, That takes us very neatly into a race uh, via a price boost uh, on that particular race. Um, I can only imagine that the lads, I hope they're of good health and, and solid disposition, the trading, the trading team, because they'll be looking at these, watching the live stream, thinking, please just rip it down. Somebody throw a rock at the television. Uh, Monoly, uh, seven to one is the price if you fancy availing of a bit of that. So uh, not the original, I was going to say stingy price, but the original correct price is what we should actually say. Uh, for a limited time only, uh, to the stakes advertised, seven to one, which is just so screaming 
seemingly obviously the wrong price uh, that you, you, in my opinion at least, uh, should definitely have a pound or two thrown in Monolith's direction. Uh, on we go to the stairs hurdle. This is a race that I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, the supporting argument, 14 of the last 22 winners had won or placed at a previous festival. Uh, also, interestingly, uh, three of the last six winners uh, were, were previous uh, recent runners on the flat. So some horses with unconventional preparations and warm-ups. I will tell you I that... I think they no more than you, but anyway, that's beside the point. We'll judge that when Kilbrick and Storm at 16 to 1... Oh, my God. <laughs> ...wins this day's hurdle. A horse who... Okay. He starts now, he won't win. <laughs> do you remember in the days when you had to... Do you remember in the days when you did your GCSE maths exam? You knew the answer, but you didn't know the workings. Well, I know the answer, and I know the workings. Allow me to demonstrate. Kilbrick and Storm, trained by Colin Tizard. Horse is flying. He's unbeaten at Cheltenham. He's only had two runs this season, and he's a Cheltenham Festival winner. Totally ignored, dismissed, and thrown out by the market. And yet, it's 16 to 1. Faheen's just like the shark, soon to be going down to the post office to get his pension. Sam Crow hasn't cited a winner's enclosure all season. Uh, Paisley Park will probably win, but the value at 16 to 1 each way to chase him home or to cause the upset, it's not Sam Crow, it's not Faheen, it's Kilbrick and Storm for the reasons given. And the boost... Uh, in case you agree with one of our many opinions, is Connor's horse, Sam Crow, who going into Down Royal in November, people thought that this was going to be a procession towards one of a number of potential targets at the Cheltenham Festival. It hasn't turned out quite like that, but there is still time to try and redeem himself. Nine to one the price, uh, if you fancy Sam Crow uh, to pull off this astonishing comeback and win at the Cheltenham Festival 2019. Uh, that takes us on, folks, to Friday, day four of four at the 2019 Cheltenham Festival, kicking off, of course, uh, with the Triumph Hurdle, in which uh, the last nine winners, every single one of them, came from one of these three trial races. Uh, the Adonis... Uh, the finesse or the spring juvenile at Leopardstown. So the Adonis at Kempton, the finesse at Cheltenham, or indeed the spring juvenile at Leopardstown, which was one Connor O'Hare by a horse I know you've got a massive soft spot for. Um, his name is Sir Eric. They like him so much, his connections, that they're, they're prepared to run Fakir Dudaris, not in this race. Uh, but in the Supreme Novices Hurdle, we think. That's a pretty weighty compliment for a horse who's won both his starts since switching from Aidan to Joseph O'Brien. You were at Joseph's recently. Give us the background to Sir Eric and why you think he wins the Triumph Hurdle. Well, first of all, he, he got to 109 on the flat. Like He's a, he's a top-class flat horse. He can jump. Um, he... He was impressive. The, fir the first day, they kind of thought he'd come on for the run, and he, he, just, um, he just got the better of Willie's horse, Tiger Tap Tap, but uh, he improved a ton the second day. There was only a neck between those two horses in the first run in Leopardstown, and I think it was seven or eight lengths then the next day, so he's, he's, imp he's improved a lot. Um, he, made his own, he kind of got an easy lead the last day, but if you look down through this market, like Joseph O'Brien is the top... In the, in the top five or six in the, in the betting, he has three or four of them, so I'd say... Sir Eric will be the one here and maybe the others for the Red Winter race and I can't really see this guy getting beat. Well, this is how they bet away to my left again once more. 11 to 10 favourite, so he is one of the stronger favourites of the week, Sir Eric. Uh, Fakir Duder is mindful of the fact that he has options, but we believe he will most likely uh, go for the Supreme Novices Hurdle on the Tuesday. Uh, if you believe that to be incorrect, 11 to 2. Uh, Kel Destin 
This horse is interesting on the strength of the fact that when he beat Ajali, uh, who seemingly also goes now, uh, he was one for the notebook uh, back at Christmas time. Um, Pick Dorhi, look out for this horse. He's entered at Kelso on Saturday in the Premier Novice. Um, he drifted in the betting today, Pick Dorhi, suggesting that maybe it'll be straight to Cheltenham if he runs. I think they were hoping there'd be some rain in Kelso for Pick Dorhi. Uh, he was with Francois Nicole. Uh, he won a race at Otoy. He was second in a graded race the last day. Uh, he hasn't set foot on the turf yet in England. They need to get the run into him, ideally. He could be another devastatingly good young horse coming through late into this picture if he gets the run. Uh, Tiger Tap Tap, uh, was beaten by Sir Eric and his maiden at Leopardstown at Christmas. Uh, and then you've got a few other names, the likes of Ajali, who interestingly creeps in for Nicky Henderson. He probably wasn't going to run. And yet, if you were watching the, the racing on TV on Saturday, uh, you'd know about a horse called Fuzel Ruffles, who won the Adonis going away. Unfortunately, he injured himself in the process. So they might be using this guy as a bit of a, a super sub. Um, so that paints the picture. Uh, moving swiftly on, we go to the penultimate race we're going to talk to you about. Right then, the Albert Bartlett. Um, this has got a nice complexion to it this year. Um, here's how they bet. Uh, this would be a good story. Lisnegar Oscar, a horse trained not by one of the big battalions, not by a, a Mullins or an Elliot or a Henderson or a Nichols, uh, but trained in Wales uh, by Rebecca Curtis. Remember her? Ace trainer. Picks very shrewdly from the point-to-point -point field. Uh, was responsible in 2012 for the four-mile win of T for three. And a fine trainer of a horse when she gets the right ammunition. She's been quiet for a couple of years. Better this season. Would be a really good way to cap it off with a grade one winner uh, in the Albert Bartlett. So she's got Liz Negar Oscar at 13 to two. Seven to one commander of fleet who's got options. Seven to one, the same comments apply to battle over Doyen. Uh, Dickie Diver uh, is 15 to two. Uh, from the same stable, 8-1, to one, Birchdale, 10's carefully selected, 11, Relegate, remember him, last year's champion bumper winner, who's had a couple of expensive reverses this season, but it's early days for him over hurdles, uh, Alaho at 12-1, to one, and then 14-1 to one and bigger, uh, the remainder. So that's how fans bet uh, are currently assessing the state of play uh, for this Albert Bartlett novices hurdle. Um, Brian, anything to add to the Bartlett, or we will dive straight into the big one? Um, no, nothing at all. Because this is a man, ladies and gents, who was in the winner's enclosure yesterday. He's been at Catterick today. He'll be at air tomorrow for five, and he'll be on a racehorse's back in a saddle, in his boots, in his gear, in his fans' bet coat at six o'clock tomorrow morning. So we have got to let him get up the road. He lives well over 100 miles away. He's done us a massive turn by getting here. We will not release him down the lift uh, here in Hotel Football until he gives us his version of events in the 2019 blue ribbon of steeplechasing, all three miles to furlongs and half and uh, indeed half a furlong of it and that is of course the gold cup uh, relegate was your price boost incidentally brian de philly who won the bumper last year uh, for the bartlett 16 to 1 if you think she can bounce back to form i know she's had a couple of reverses as a beaten favorite but it's early days for relegate could there be a surprise there moving on to the gold cup this is how we bet uh, 100 to 30 Percy, presenting Percy to you folks, by Sir Percy, out of a slightly obscure mare, but there's nothing obscure about this horse. A winner at this festival in 2017, a winner in 2018, uh, trained by a, a genius, I would suggest, a man with an Oscar-winning backstory, a man who says little but delivers much. That's the Crockwell conjurer, Pat Kelly, uh, who 
literally, you might not see him on a race course for a month at a time, uh, but when he turns up and means business, invariably uh, they deliver. So he's the mastermind behind presenting Percy in the Reynolds colours. 100 to 30 is the price. Uh, the King George and Denman Chase winner, Clandes Oboe, has burst onto the scene this season, 4 to 1. Last year's winner, Native River, is 5 to 1. Uh, Kemboy, don't underestimate this fella, folks. 17 to 2 is the price, about the Grade 1 winner from Leopardstown at Christmas time. Uh, Bells Hill uh, won the February Gold Cup. Uh, at Leopardstown just a few weeks ago. There were only four runners in that race. Uh, one of them uh, was Road to Respect, who's in there at 14 to 1. Uh, Mike Bite, he was the horse who just came off worst in that mega tussle 12 months ago with Native River. Old Thistlecrack, uh, still his fans beat the drum and say that Thistlecrack at the age of 11 could wind back the years uh, and put in it. There is a slightly demented looking individual there waving furiously at us right now, uh, wearing his Thistlecrack uh, bobble hat and uh, woolly vest. Uh, so Thistlecrack at 14 to 1, what a magical horse he's been. Uh, album photo, who of course is a, uh, a horse with Cheltenham Festival experience. An old Frodon, does he go Ryanair, does he go here? One thing we do know is he loves Cheltenham. So it's really, if they all turn up, it's all teed up to be a really fantastic Gold Cup. Uh, this has been the Fans Bet Cheltenham Festival preview night in association with the sportsmen, in association with hotel football and racing welfare. Don't forget them. A very good night. Thanks for coming. The gallery on Stanhope Street uh, in the Baltic Quarter is one of Liverpool's, I'd say, undiscovered charms. You might have discovered it and you might be thinking, what, what's this fella talking about? I go all the time, but it's the absolute business. There's an exhibition there at the minute called Foreign Trade. I went along to have a chat. I'm in the gallery. Uh, it is called the gallery. It is on Stanhope Street uh, with Duo Vision and Duo Vision. Duo, Duo. Which way'd you go? Duo. Duo. Duo is better, isn't it? I don't know why, where I was going with Duo there. It was ridiculous. I'm with Martin Green and James Lawler to talk about the foreign trade exhibition, a celebration of queer migration. And first and foremost, why did you have the idea to put this together? You've cu curated this, James. Why did you want to do this and why did you want to do it now? Yeah, I think it was sort of relevant to the time. We decided to do it in March and it ends at the end of March, which is the alleged yeah. time that Brexit is supposed to happen. And it was our comment, you know, because a lot of our friends are artists, a lot of our friends are artists who've come from other countries and settled in the UK for its liberal and you know, more exciting attitude to counterculture and popular culture. Um, a lot of the artists we've worked with, we used to work for a magazine called Beige, Martin was the features editor. And that's how we met Gothra, who took the pictures of Pete Burns. Mm -hmm. um, and so it sort of spreads out from there, you know. It, it feels like, Martin, you, it's talking about who you've met there and when and, and, and how mm -hmm. this has come about, this feels like it's been a, a while in the making, and what I mean by that isn't, isn't literally how long this project's taken, but this is work that spans a fair few years. It's stuff that you've been conscious of for a fair few years. Are you, are you pleased to have got to put it together now? Yes, it seems the right time to put it together. And it's and basically what's happened is we came up with the idea for the show and asked a few artists, friends, who have uh, who made the UK their home, and they said, oh, you should speak to my friend yeah. who's Italian. So we spoke to uh, Angelo Corsi, who's, um, who lives in this little bedsit in... Pimlico in one room and he finds bits of hardboard on the street and he paints these incredible baroque kind of pop baroque paintings 
on bits of hardboard that have been left out and discarded. So, and he's never ever shown before. Right. And so he was very. So we were very excited to show his work. And I and because the show is about contribution, and so and uh, and the press around migration is all about people taking from. Uh, but this is about people giving. And I think that's a fine example of someone finding bits of rubbish and then turning them into something beautiful. When you when you look to you, I know, the idea that you get passed from 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 friend to friend, somebody yeah. else has done something like this, somebody else has done something like this. You you still want your theme to be absolutely the centre of this. I I've just I've just had a little walk around, yeah. and the extent to which as you go from sort of from section to section, it is very crisply curated. There's the there's, there is the part of it which is very very funny. I'll come on to the pottery in mm. a minute, which I'm just made up with to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, but there is something where there's. You are you aren't just looking. You've got your overall theme. You're trying to you're trying to echo yes. your overall theme, but you're trying to put all this stuff into its own context. I'm I'm always intrigued by curation and the activity yeah. that it is. Yeah, well, we got we weren't strict, but we, I mean we had the co- a concept. But the thing is, as 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 we started meeting the artists, a lot of the artists because they're kind of interconnected and friends and friends of friends. A lot of them have got a similar kind of aesthetic and approach to work. And also with the show, we wanted to put a show together that didn't feel like a British show. Yeah, that felt quite quite colourful and provocative and exotic and erotic and exciting and bringing different kind of uh, attitudes to to, um, to to the work that you don't really yeah. see so a much lot, in British work. A lot of the work says things about where the people are from. Yeah. You know, like Jason Carr's from New Zealand and he's got um, native plants in his self-portrait and birds and then Angelo Corsi's are just totally Italian it's like having dinner in a mad Italian restaurant <laughs> with those ones and then Tim and Michael who are the costume designers yeah. um, who've done films like Moulin Rouge and Justice League you know with Australia being on that sort of cusp of Asia yeah. they've brought in this Chinese feel to the pictures it's, I'm working uh, with a Chinese I, photographer I thought I think that I honestly I think that's the best I think that's absolutely spectacular I just yeah think it's, it's really amazing it's pictures, really dramatic work yeah 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 and that's things they've done you know they do their own film work but that's stuff they've done where it's almost imagined costumes for a film that doesn't exist yeah but it could be you know and it crosses over into fashion as well um, but you know just brilliant quality but when you Talking about the, you know, to come back to the the core theme, it is the bit that gets forgotten, which is what we actually want art to do, which is which is to allow people to represent and express themselves. And we, at, at times, that gets sort of in the, you know, Liverpool is a city with many excellent art galleries, yeah, huge yeah, art galleries, yeah, yeah. hugely successful art galleries, but the works of art almost feel like they become like canon, like these are the ones mm. you've got to see, almost yeah. in the books, yeah, yeah. one thousand and one works yeah. of art to see before you die, yeah, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah. Whereas these, these, um, the way in which you've, you've depicted them, the, the the actual collection, it's much more about art being something that is a gift, something that's yeah. being given to people, not yeah. the idea that you're lucky to be in the vicinity of it but that it's here we go this is what we've done for you yeah and it's it's try, people trying to tell you something about them yeah you know about where they're from but also why they've moved here you know like Gothra again came to uh, the UK in the 80s when London was like an exciting place and the UK was an exciting place for pop music and dressing up and going out and that's what brought him here and being gay in Spain at the time was yeah, um, very very difficult yeah, really and difficult. that's another reason why a lot of LGBT yeah. artists yeah. come to the UK because they you know because of we've got a more liberal society than yeah. a lot of others and so many of the South African artists yeah. have only been um, legal to be gay in South Africa since what 1995 
You know, that's not long, is it? You know. Do you worry? And I, I asked this question as a 38 year old man talking to too many. Who I'm just going to say are older than me, so we've got to be always careful <laughs> when we say this. Do you worry that we've that sort of nationwide, not maybe on a local level, but nationwide, we've lost some of that. We've lost some of that sort of the idea that 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 the United Kingdom is a place to come for to be adventurous, to to, to express oneself. Do, do you worry about that, or are we instead talking about something here that's that's a worldwide problem? If we're honest about it, yeah, I think maybe it is bigger than just the UK um, because at one time you know London was the place everyone wanted to go to and not necessarily now I mean when you see what's happening in Liverpool a lot of young people don't have to leave because there's great things going on here and the same in Manchester and Leeds and other cities it isn't as centred but then you don't have that sort of edginess of us growing up through you know Thatcher's government with the AIDS crisis, that's all kind of gone so there isn't that kind of thing to rebel against but we have new things to rebel against such as Brexit Which you're choosing to do with this exhibition? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, Yeah, so it kind of goes full circle doesn't it? There's always like high and a low. You know, you're never too old to still be able to rebel? No, <laughs> no. Rebels without the, a clue yeah. <laughs> One of the things you take, um, I want to talk about the, um, the uh, South African William Martin's work, it's what I like about a lot of this exhibition People use the word playful, and often it's to try to say it shouldn't be taken seriously. It should be taken seriously, but it's also simultaneously the the, the pottery is remarkably playful. It's sight and all sorts. Mm. It's there's a centaur on there. You know, I, I absolutely as someone who's seen a lot of um, sort of classical pottery. Mm. It's a wonderful send up of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while simultaneously, it's honestly, it's a terrific piece of work. Yeah, and he and he, and he um, combines Adidas logos with yeah. some. <laughs> S&M um, gay figures and yeah he's, he's a very playful and he's very accomplished um, and we found him through Instagram really yeah and we found quite a lot of artists through Instagram is great for visual arts and you've got because of Instagram the way they make connections with people I mean it's great for promotion mm-hmm. but it's great for meeting artists because it's such a visual instantly visual um, uh, uh, app, app and um, so we've met a lot of artists through particularly through Instagram William's one of them I saw I, I saw somebody posted one of his um, work pieces and I thought well, that looks interesting they went to him and then saw some more work then went to see his exhibition okay. in London which was in a little tiny shop and then chatted to him about working together so that's how that came about so we, I like all that kind of so a lot of the people we work with are on the outside and on the periphery yeah. and we also like to work with older people as well and not people just straight out of college so um, one of the artists we worked with last year Caroline Kuhn was 73 and it was her first ever exhibition mm-hmm. And and that did very well, and it got a lot of attention. And um, so we like that because I think artists that you know can that that, that were either self taught or come out of college and just carry on working irrespective of you know of, of any success um, have an integrity and an interesting story um, which we like to show. And we 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 do we do give a lot of artists that opportunity to show work that you know that has been put away in cupboards and hidden away for years. Do you like to also bring that stuff up to Liverpool as well? This is oh, it's all brought up to Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we bring it all to Liverpool. So this is our base. This is where we, we start. What we do, we, we do shows in Liverpool and then some go to London. Mm-hmm. So we do it that way. And, and also Stoke, we did, a, uh, we did a show here that we took to Stoke Museum and expanded. And um, so that's, yeah, so this is a, a great place to experiment. 
it is a great place to experiment. As I said before, I mentioned the other sort of bigger, uh, the bigger galleries. You're up here on Stanhope Street, right by the thriving, theoretically thriving. Uh, I'm never quite sure. Uh, Baltic area uh, yeah. didn't feel thriving when I was walking through it before, but then you know it is. It is a Friday afternoon. Yeah, um, there is, there is such a place for work like this for ex- for exhibitions like this I think this is an important thing to say really that yeah. it isn't you know it, it is very independent it is yeah. it is a glimpse into something else and something different yeah well there's nobody above us telling us what we can or can't do yeah it's completely led by ourselves we do everything ourselves we hang it ourselves we mop the floor everything so it, it's kind of our our voice um, but we get really appreciative audiences here, yeah. you know, because a lot of the things we do, it's, in, it's that crossover between art, music and fashion. Um, like we did Jarvis Cocker's exhibition, that was his first solo exhibition in the UK, we did that here. Um, Peter Ashworth, who did all the Million and One album covers in the 1980s, we did that and then we took that one to London, it was, you know, a big success. And again, that was the first time he's exhibited, mm-hmm. and he's 65, you know. So it's, it's all these people that we we looked up to when we were growing up, that were the generation above us. And then we've always kept that with us, you know, it's things that excite us, and we think, oh, why don't we work with them? And, you know, we're lucky enough to have a lot of connections that can bring that to the table. Um, and because they like what we do, and they've seen what we do at the gallery, you know, then people are quite happy to work with us. You know, we've got quite a good back catalogue now. Excellent. It is Foreign Trade. It is in the gallery on Stanhope Street, and it is a, it's on until the end of March. And the gallery itself, if you can't get, if you don't have to be around up until the end of March, although you, you should be, but if you don't have to be around until the end of March, uh, there are b- many other things that go on in the gallery. It is the absolute business. It's one of Liverpool's little hidden gems up in the Baltic, and there's loads of places to eat around here now as well, so you can do that too. Thank you very much to James. Thank you very much to Martin. Just come down. Welcome back to the weekend. I'm Mike Nevin and Adam Melia. Listen, Tramia are playing crew tomorrow night, Friday night, under the Lights, all your classics. Uh, the Flying Trammy, they got themselves into the playoffs. So get down if you fancy it. Liverpool play, don't play until Sunday. Uh, they are in the playoffs now, uh, Trammy. They might even be able to push on and go up automatically, although that would be a big a big push at this stage of proceedings. Though they are only nine points behind Mansfield, who are in third and in League Two. They play something mad like 104 games. So, uh, you know, there's, there's still time. There's actually 11 games to go for Trammy to see if they can turn that one around. Would you take a playoff now, Neil? Just a random question out of the blue. For Trammy, no, for us. So it, the, the season ends as it, as, it, as as things stand. Yeah. Would you would you take a one like off game, one game between between us and City? Yes. It's at, it's at, well, I say it's as it stands. It's one there's one point between. So if we I'm could play them one you. more time, you play play them once more. At the end the, of the where does it happen? Playoff. Uh, Old Trafford. Oh, okay. Neutral, neutral ground. I don't know. Um, yeah. Villa Park. We'd batter them in Villa Park. Warrington, we beat them twelve. Nil. Warrington Wolves Stadium, whatever that's called. <laughs> New- Newtonley Willows on the grass. <laughs> Somewhere outside Birchwood, they'd have to build. They'd have to build a stand. Uh, yes, I would. I'd love it. In fact, I mean, you know, I'm very okay. rarely into. I mean, I love. I love anything that mad that changes the competition. But yeah, uh, right. I'd absolutely love to play them in a one-off game. Is it possible that that could actually happen? Um, and I know there's a little Don't bit of a, think... there's a there's a bit of a, um, a difference between the, oh, sort of the goal difference. Oh right, and, if it's you know, goal score, then oh, yeah. I don't think so because. Because I think we might have to. Uh, does it go to the playoff? Beef, so if the do the two fixtures because we the, we we drew ah, and right, I okay, yeah. So if it goes the two fixtures, yeah, I don't think won, we go because yeah, they, they've yeah. won on so, aggregate, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so bear that in mind, sadly. Uh, another option gone for the Reds. Uh, makes it a bit less likely to win the league. Uh, no, I, I would love it, but you can't yeah. have it, can you? No. Um, other thing I wanted to talk about was the boss session in Munich. It's the day of the game. It's 1 till 6pm with music. They're showing the match for those who don't have tickets. It's backstage at 6 Reich Nechtstrasse. Uh, right Nechtstrasse uh, for that one. I think I, got, I think I did all right there, Adam. You, 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 you love the German. I love the German. There'd be more Strasse for me. Strasse. Yeah. I'm a, a Strasse sort of guy. Uh, <laughs> we went to the same school as well. Must have had different teachers. Absolutely, uh, yeah. that's the way in which it went. Different eras. Yeah, uh, yeah thanks for that. <laughs> um, I just felt like I needed to say it for some reason. Not that I'm, Thank you. I'm very nervous at the minute about the 38 thing. Um, also, across all of this sort of stuff, there'll be loads of Anfield app stuff in Munich. Lots of people are going out. I'm not, unfortunately, but there's lo- going to be loads and loads of people there. There's going to be shows. There's going to be catching up with people, video right the way across the board. You know how to subscribe the AnfieldApp.com forward slash subscribe. Um, Burnley then, Adam, far easier opponents on the road last October slash November, um, nowhere near as good, um, they were having a bad start, they were struggled with the Europa League stuff, there's always luck in the fixture list, but then we added the other way around, City struggled to a 1-0 win against West Ham uh, last week, we beat them 4-0 first day, uh, when they barely met, uh, and that's the way in which it goes, it should be difficult, but we know what it looks like. Is yeah. the thing I'd say. I don't. I don't see it being a um, a, 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 a Watford style thrashing, or even probably a Bournemouth style thrashing. I, I, I. But I do. I do think that we'll win. I think it'll be a, a fight to the finish. Um, Dice wouldn't sort of have it any other way, and I, I, I'm sort of vaguely concerned that we might we might end up picking up an injury again because it is that that sort of uh, that, that that sort of opponent. Um, but. I, I, as I say, I just I, I I think that we will. I think that we'll 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 have too much, and it'll be a case of it, the, the reason that these away games have, have have proved to be more difficult as they've gone on is because we haven't we haven't scored uh, when when we should have done it in the first half, and I think at home that just seems to be the difference. It seems to be that we we ha- we we have a similar we set up similarly and start the game similarly, and we just seem to be, seem to be able to score our, our our chance that we should score. You know, in the in the first twenty minutes, and then and then we go from there. Um, for Burnley, the difference in switching the goalkeeper, Mike, looks marked, and I think. I, I, so much of football, the way in which we talk about it, we can see where physical aspects, technical aspects, all this sort of stuff. With Burnley, you know, it wasn't as though Joe Hart wasn't making saves. Every Burnley supporter I speak to and have spoken to has said Joe Hart made saves. For me, this is the the alchemy of football to an mm. extent that communication, team spirit, togetherness seems to be far greater for Burnley with Heaton in goal. Seems to be far greater than it was with Joe Hart. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, I think. Um I think it's, since Heaton's come in, they've, well, certainly over the last ten league games, they've taken something like eighteen points, which for a side that's still not not in the mire, but you know, sort of yeah. relatively near the bottom of the table. I mean, it's a de- it's a decent return. So there's obviously something something's happened there. I mean, I'm from the outside looking in, I and mean, I thought Hart was having something of a of a renaissance, really. Um, but whether that that sort of understanding those combinations, obviously, you know, defences are a unit, especially the relationship between centre halves and keeper has been improved for them. And on, on on the evidence that we see, yes, that seems to be the case. I mean, but Heaton's a you know Heaton's a good goalkeeper in his own yeah. in his own right as well. Um, I, th- I think it's it, it's difficult to sort of say you know definitively. Yeah, they they, they look a, a more solid unit with with Heaton and Gold than than Hart. And the thing about Burnley is that what 
what you, they, uh, I take your point about the fact that they were um, they were less able on the road early in the season, but they're wildly inconsistent because they've had some mad results as well. I mean, obviously they, they beat Spurs recently, but then they were two 0 up at Old Trafford. Yeah, and yet I think the last two games they, they lost pretty emphatically at Newcastle. They were abject and, at Newcastle by all yeah, accounts, and, and and also lost at home to Crystal Palace. So I mean, all season I've struggled to work them out. At the start of the season, there was that whole idea, you know, they were suffering from the extra commitments mm. of the of the the um, Europa League, which I found a bit ridiculous, really, because I think they only played sort of four games I in it. I think it's just I. What I I think there's two things here which are quite have always been quite difficult to measure. Which I have a measure of football conversation, Mike, and I think one of them is the idea of a hugely disrupted pre-season because it yeah. wasn't just the idea of the Europa League games; it was the fact that it completely rattled the pre-season. And mm. you know, you look at the the amount of stuff Dice has underpinned on fitness, and they were less intense first yeah. half of the season. And you do wonder if that was a hang, or could even be a hangover from <clears> the previous campaign. Well, that's it. I mean, and you know, they were they were always going to struggle, weren't they, to replicate a seventh place in the Premier League? And let's you know, let's give the lads some credit. I mean, for them to to come seventh in the Premier League, the size of club, the size of their town, basically. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I think it's the smallest town really that sort of um, has a, has a Premier League side. So it was it was always going to be difficult for them. That was the the, the sort of season first back up. This second season syndrome, if you like, in terms of a football club, um, I think that placed additional pressure on them. The only thing is that if you're in the Europa League, potentially you can treat that as your pre-season. It's a little bit more intense. It it, it can sharpen you up. It obviously didn't happen that way. And they were fairly abject at the start of the season. But I think they have probably had enough uh, muscle memory from last season about beating, you know, beating sides that or getting good results against sides that they wouldn't ordinarily get, that that's been enough for them to sort of pull themselves around. Um, Last season they got a point at Anfield, as I mentioned before. Um, mm. The recent results against Tottenham. This is you're, you're saying, don't take it lightly. You're saying it could be a, it could be a tough, a tough game. Very much about that first goal, but then you know what football match isn't. Uh, to mm. be honest with you, but they are, they are stout opponents. Stout opponents. I'm intrigued by the idea they'll come to Anfield and play two up front. They'll play Wood and Barnes is the expectation. They'll go four four two. They did this last season. Uh, I mean, they had some chances before they score as well last season. Yeah, they do, yeah. yeah. So, that, you know, it, it, it's it's a challenge we actually don't get very often. I can't remember the last side to come to Anfield and play two up front. Uh, they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think we're a stout opponent in a way as well. We, we've gone quite dour, um, and I, d- I don't see I don't see many sides scoring two at Anfield, and uh, and and I think that I just tend to think that that we will we we will prevail basically based on the fact that that I see us I see us taking a couple of our chances um, and them and them not take not being able to to create that that as as many as many and not be able to convert those ones so you know it, notwithstanding some sort of worldy performance from Tom Heaton who I think is really good I didn't get a, a, a say in the uh, goalkeeper debate before I think Joe Hart's a massive weirdo like Jordan Pickford and <laughs> and that's probably helped uh, since they've replaced him um so yeah, I think I, I, I think that we will. Um, it may it may not be the type of challenge which we've which we've faced typically recently because they don't play like teams do in in, in this league, as you say. Um, but I think that they are probably at the stage of the season where they're able to pick fixtures where they can where, where, pick your battles. Pick your battles, and um, I think we might be able to convince them uh, in, in in a good first half performance that this isn't going to be one of them. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I, I was about to say something about that. I think their next three games, are, you know, they'll be looking at, uh, I think it's Leicester, Wolves and Cardiff, not necessarily in that order. Um, and this is this is something that we, we suffered from during the sort of the, the, the United Ferguson years, is that, you know, teams would, would, would come to Old Trafford and they'd, they'd, they'd view it as a, you know, a little bit of a free, a free hit, if you like. But then, but just in terms of the mentality, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're 5% off, if, you, if you're thinking about, you know, the opportunity to, to, to take points in other games, then in the game of football where it is, you know, it's so close... Um, then that that drop off, I think, in your intensity can be critical. And again, you know, that would be uh, exaggerated if Liverpool were to score early, like they have done pretty much in in, in most of the of the home games against this level of opposition. That's become less of a thing for Liverpool. It's, it's, the, the notion of breaking sides down at Anfield doesn't seem to be a thing these days, which is you know all for the good. All for the good. Um, so if you're breaking them down, Mike, what team are you picking? What's your approach? What's your shape first and foremost? I think if I was picking a team for this game in isolation, I'd, I probably wouldn't veer too much away from, from, from what we've seen over the last couple. But I th- in light of the fact that we've got Bayern Munich on Wednesday, which as I said And then before, Fulham on the following Sunday. Um, yeah, and it's, so it's a three-game piece. I, I think he has to not so much freshen it up uh, so much, but just make, make some changes to, 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 to rest some legs. I mean, Wijnaldum, regardless of whether he's, he's fit or not... Um, I think he probably just needs needs a rest. Um, Kaita was doing quite well um, before he was suddenly sort of pulled from proceedings more recently. So I think Kaita is an obvious um, an obvious inclusion here. Played well against them at their place, um, and I think I think it's sort of long overdue that we probably saw Shakiri start. I know people have said about Shakiri being more impactful from the bench, but it, to me, the fact that he's not played so much, he could do with he could do with 60, 70 minutes just to get something into his legs because before Christmas he was he, you know he, he was a critical player. Um, we weren't talking about you know struggling to, to, to make chances like we did in the, the, the away games at, at uh, Everton and United. So I think he has to. I mean, he he can still be a really key player in this running, but he's he's got to get some minutes. So I think the opportunity or the the temptation to to, to rest a couple, um, and as I say, just bring in Kaiser because you know hasn't played for a couple of weeks and Shakiri. I think they're they're the obvious changes really. Yeah, I think I'd um I think I'd do four two three one. I notice uh Lovren's had another setback, which is beyond a joke. Um and also Milner's mistraining, uh according to James Pierce. So we're not I am and so Milner and Wijnaldum, I'd probably sit both of them out and I'd go for Binio. I'd do four two three one, I think, for Binio Henderson. Um uh Mane, uh Kaita, Shakiri, Salah, I think. No, hang on. You've missed Firmino. I've missed Firmino. Um yeah, no, sorry, I, 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 I agreed with Mike, but then I wouldn't start Shakiri actually. Uh, I, I know, I know what you mean, but um, I, I, I'd, I'd put Firmino in there. Okay, I'd probably, I'd be having a long chat about Henderson and Fabinho, and picking one of them with the sports science people off the base of the fact I'd probably want to play both of them in Munich and mm. working out which of them could more do with, with not getting the game and that's, that's and I would pick Kaiser and I would pick Shakiri. Yeah. And I'd go for Mino in behind uh, Salah. I'd put Salah back through the middle for this one. Off the fact that I might well consider starting him there against Munich as well and just basically wrecking their heads a little bit. Uh and uh Shakiri. Do, do do Mane off mm. the left and Shakiri off the right. No, I wouldn't be starting Shakiri in Munich, but I might consider going Mane right, 
um, Salah Central and Firmino left in Munich, at least for 20 minutes, just to basically go, everything you prepared for, everything you thought you were going to get, you're actually getting this now mm. uh, for at least a period and then and, and just keep shuffling it around because I think that you, if you do the other thing, you're at least giving them what they expect uh, rather than I think that a little bit of disruption is no bad thing. So in this one, I'd go my front four. I'd, go, I'd pick Keita, one of Henderson and Fabinho. And then I'd pick uh, Shakiri, um, Shakiri, Mane, Firmino, and, and Salah. Have I convinced you? Yeah, yeah. You look that's convinced. No, that's 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 along the lines of what I was thinking. I think um, I I think I I was just still thinking about what I'd said and trying to figure out if I'd picked too many players. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, maybe sometimes yeah. the team sheets in with twelve. Um, yeah. Everyone saying Liverpool win. Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd expect Liverpool to beat Burnley. I think it'll be a, t- a tough game, as as Adam said before. Good I mean, atmosphere, not... hopefully. I think so. I mean, we're into that stage of the season. We've got to forget about this 12 o'clock Sunday nonsense. I mean, you get to the game, you know, generally speaking, I can't remember what time Doesn't it is anyway. Time but it is. Yeah, no, no, I mean, no you know, it's... Um, yeah, there's five there's five league league games to go. Liverpool are on the verge potentially of a league title. Let's, let's just forget about Sunday afternoons and twelve o'clock and just get in there and roll them on. Uh, I loved all the uh, early early Sundays uh, in, in thirteen fourteen. I suppose they were away though, weren't they? They, they, they tended to be away. There was yeah. a fair few sort of felt like at the time there was a lot of Sunday twos, but that could just be my drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I think Norwich was at twelve o'clock on yeah, a Sunday. It was, it was, it was literally yeah. Easter yeah. Sunday, twelve yeah. o'clock. Sunday, yeah. uh, literally Easter Sunday, twelve o'clock. That one. Yeah. You know, I'm into. I think get it out the way. We can all have a lovely afternoon. Yeah, um, no, I like it. I like it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I don't like the four. I don't like the four o'clock Sundays actually at home. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's almost like you've got there's too, too much of your weekend gone behind you. You're too pent up. Yeah. Uh, okay, then. So basically, I'd just like us to kick off at 7.45 on Saturday. Yeah. Pretty ideally, week in, week out. If we could box that, that'd be fabulous. 7.45pm? Yeah. Oh, I don't like them. On Saturday? Yeah, weird. Don't you like it? Well, I, I liked it in theory, though, when it happened, it was just weird. Ah, it's... It was 4am before I knew it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just totally all up the wall with kick-off, kick-off time. Since um, last season, we went to Spurs away, and they changed it from 12.45 to 12.30. That caused a I, lot I, of people out. And I was sauntering up uh, Seven <laughs> Sisters Road thinking... Quiet, it? Tell you what, this is great. I'm, I'm having time for an extra bevy. Get in. 20 minutes gone. Absolutely. <laughs> and then there's these things like 2.05s and yeah. 2.30. I've completely... Completely lost track of it, and for the first time, really, in my life, now I've had to start checking tickets. You know, yeah. I know there's, there's other ways yeah. to find out, and there's the internet and all that. But <laughs> I've actually started looking at you know t- ticket stubs and sort of saying, "Oh, what time's this one kicking Even off? even last week, even the derby. I mean, I I knew it was quarter past four, but it felt like everybody everybody kind of knew it was quarter past four, but you, everyone's still ready at four. I was. I thought it was half four. Half four. Yeah, right. But I was in the ground. I but it could easily be four oh five. Yeah, we were, I went in with yeah. senior, and I felt we were going in really early. And then when they finished training, I felt that was really early. And blah blah blah. And it was only really when they came out that I went, "Oh, it's now." Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's if you and I, if you use your own watch to to, to time a game as well, it's it, it's a, like mathematical sort of acrobatics because all those traditional finishing times, which traditionally were you know sort of twenty fifty to, past twenty hour. to five yeah, for yeah. people of my of my generation, that's all gone. There's about 17 or 18 different permutations now. Uh, Was it the Bournemouth game where where uh, George turned the clock off? Yeah, that, <laughs> I'm still blaming George. Yeah, that was that. That added an extra layer. Yeah. Of I don't think he knew he turned the clock off. I think he just let, he lent on a switch somewhere. He but, thought he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, he thought he was playing. Uh, cast he's actually <laughs> yeah. turned the clock off uh, excellent across the board thank you very much to Adam and Mike that has been your weekender Sports Social Podcast Network